say because it would appear that the ghost story I shared in the first episode about the fort in St. Augustine and the two star-crossed lovers, while true, is still riddled with mistakes and inaccuracies. However, I do plan to correct that in this episode extension of Bring Out Your Dead that we have so fondly dubbed the eulogy, where, after every main episode, we will attempt to provide those of you that, like us, get a little extra pleasure in wrapping your ghost walks and paranormal stories in some colorful historical context. It will be the goal of each eulogy to focus on the place we visited, and if you'll pardon the pun, dig up some interesting history and provide you with a little more meat on the old bones, so to speak. And maybe, just maybe, Win your attention long enough to entice you to listen to our next show, where Tiana and I will inevitably screw up again. So, without further ado, I give you the eulogy of St. Augustine, Florida. So, St. Augustine is old. I mean, really old. It was founded on August 28, 1565 by Don Pedro Menendez de Avalos, by the order of King Philip II of Spain. August 28th also happened to be the day dubbed as the Feast Day of St. Augustine, so you don't really have to take a huge mental leap there to understand where the settlement got its name. And, uh, you know, to put that date into perspective, that is 42 years before the English founded the colony of Jamestown, Virginia. And it's 55 years before the pilgrims landed on Plymouth Rock. And that's not even the earliest history of St. Augustine. Prior to the landing of Menendez, the famous Ponce de Leon himself had already explored the area over half a century before that, way back in 1513. Uh, Where, as you might know, as legend has it, he discovered the Fountain of Youth, a site that you can still visit in St. Augustine today, by the way. And that's just the European records. The Timucua Native Americans already had a very established village on this site with archaeological findings that date back uh, as early as the 1100s. In fact, uh, this is who Menendez uh, had the pleasure of meeting when he came ashore for the first time. So, as you can imagine, St. Augustine has a long list of bragging rights when it comes to being the first uh, to do something or having the oldest whatever, right? Uh, Some examples of that are the oldest wooden schoolhouse in the United States, which uh, still stands today. And in fact, it's one of the creepiest uh, things that you'll see in St. Augustine, in my opinion. Uh, It's got a really creepy whispering mannequin that you will uh, see peering down at tourists as you walk down the famous uh, St. George Street. Um, And you can't even make out what it's saying, but it's like looking at you from this old uh, schoolhouse window and it's like, and it is kind of eerie. I'm not going to lie. St. Augustine also can boast the uh, first free black community called Fort Mose. Uh, That was founded in 1738 as a legally sanctioned town by the Spanish. Um, It was for escaped English slaves that sought sanctuary in the South. And all they had to do was join the local Spanish militia and convert 
to Catholicism. And so, as you can imagine, that's exactly what they did. It also has the oldest public plaza or public space uh, called the Plaza de la Constitución. Uh, this is a public square that was founded, founded in 1573. It has a water well on it that is uh, still there, and it's from the 17th century. And it also, interestingly enough, has a monument dedicated to the Spanish Constitution of 1812. Now, not only is a monument to the Spanish Constitution a rare thing to find in the United States, it's just as rare to find in Spain, because Ferdinand VII ordered them to destroy all of those monuments after he returned to the throne just one year later in 1813. By the way, here's a fun little fact about the plaza of the square, is that the Boston Common, obviously in Boston, is often labeled as the oldest city park. But this this plaza, this public plaza, predates it by more than 60 years. So while you'll see signs uh, at both places that are boasting being the oldest public park, I'll just let you guys be the judge of that. But as cool as these historic sites may be, they pale in comparison to the oldest stone fort in the United States, the Fortress of Castillo de San Marcos, which will be the focus of our eulogy. Now, the need for a well-fortified, impenetrable, and permanent stone fortress was made pretty plain to the Spaniards after English privateers, which, as many of you know, is just a really nice way of saying pirates, that was under the leadership of Sir Francis Drake, captured and burned St. Augustine to the ground and its accompanying wooden fort back in 1586. I mean, uh, you know, Drake was quite literally just looking for something to do on his way up the coast to meet his buddy, another guy by the name of Sir Walter Raleigh, who had just put together a little uh, colony called Roanoke. But the real kick in the Spanish shins took place almost 82 years later when English pirates did it all over again and left St. Augustine in ashes in 1668. And of course, uh, adding insult to injury, that was also about the time that the English had the nerve to start settling further south in a nearby colony called Charlestown, or better known today as Charleston, South Carolina, which was only a two-day sail up the coast. Well, that was... Just too damn close for comfort for Mariana, the Queen Regent of Spain, and she basically said, oh, hell no. And work on a new stone fort began in 1672 and was finished in 1695. Now, the fortification was basically four equal sides, and uh, and at each corner was a it was a bastion that kind of resembled sort of like an arrowhead that kind of jutted out a little bit. Um, and this was a design chosen by the Spanish engineer Ignacio Daza. Um, and I guess it was like a big, uh, um, it was kind of like the trend back then for, for fortifications, uh, back, you know, based on some Italian design, uh, original Italian design anyway. But it, the, the, the whole point of that is that it eliminated blind spots and allowed multiple cannons to fire at the same target. And it was, uh, this, this fort was made with over 400,000 coquina shell bricks. Uh, the walls, uh, were, you know, anywhere from 11 to 19 feet thick at the base, and they would taper up to about nine feet wide at the top. And overall it enclosed 50,000 square feet of fortress. Now, something interesting that I learned while researching this, the coquina bricks, uh, were set with lime. And they got this lime by constructing two uh, huge kilns 
just north of the construction site, where they would heat oyster shells until they were white hot, and it would change them into this high-quality, quick-setting lime that they would they would use as the mortar. Now, there's also a moat that surrounds the structure. You'll you'll see that if you go visit, but it's been dry for many years, and and the moat is so wide that there. If you're coming from the south to get to the entrance, there is a stationary bridge that goes about halfway across the moat. But the only way you're getting into the fortress is that they lower the drawbridge, which will complete the overall path uh, across the moat and into the fortress. Now, another interesting fact is that it wasn't just Spanish soldiers or even the citizenship of uh, St. Augustine that built the fort. In fact, many Native Americans in the area were hired labor. And for the illegal act of importing British goods into Spanish colonies, there were many Spanish convicts that were, ironically, imported themselves as laborers for six years, which was the length of, uh, of their sentence when found guilty. Uh, there's documentation that there was at least 18 uh, uh, black slaves that were considered property of the Spanish crown that were part of the workforce. And even British prisoners were forced into labor, albeit uh, with an obvious watchful eye. Overall, though, it took 23 years to complete the fort. But once it was done, the Spanish had a fortress that could protect the entire town's population within its walls. Now, it wasn't long after the Castillo de San Marcos uh, was completed that it got its first battle test in 1702. And basically, this is when Spain was at war with Great Britain, um, known as the War of Spanish Succession. And that's when Governor James Moore set sail to capture the fort. And while the British successfully occupied the town of St. Augustine, they could not penetrate the defenses of the Castillo de San Marcos. In fact, the siege lasted so long that Spanish warships were able to show up and block the harbor, essentially entrapping the eight British vessels. And, uh, and Governor uh, Moore ended up burning his ships and fleeing on foot, um, but not before he burned the town as well. And if you're keeping count, uh, that's like the third time the town was burned to the ground by the British. So it's a, it's a bit of a bratty, sore loser type of approach, if you ask me, but that was how they did things back in those days. Now, another famous uh, siege took place in 1740 when British warships came into the harbor and laid siege for 38 days. But even with the constant bombardment by their cannons, uh, they failed to pierce through the old coquina walls of the fort. And, uh, and finally, after um, the, I guess, the fear that there was a looming hurricane season, they certainly had a hurricane season knowledge back then, uh, the British realized that they would not be getting reinforcements uh, by sea. And so they ended up leaving. Now, throughout the 17th and 18th centuries, it is safe to say that Casillo de uh, San Marcos saw a lot of military action. And despite the sheer volume of battles and sieges during that time, it always remained uncaptured and never once falling into the hands of the enemy. So it's quite the record. Then in 1763, the Treaty of Paris ended the Seven Years' War uh, a.k.a. the French and Indian War, and Florida was given to the British in exchange for La Habana. Uh, and Casillo de San Marcos was renamed Fort St. Mark. 
Now, the British occupation was short-lived because after only 20 years, the fortress was given back to Spain because of another little treaty with the British, uh, a treaty also known as the Treaty of Paris, uh, this time in 1783. I don't know, I I guess they weren't much for naming uh, originality back then. But of course, uh, that didn't mean that this new treaty was second-rate by any comparison since Spain got its favorite peninsula back, meaning Florida, And uh, there was a little something about formally recognizing the independence of a little democratic experiment called the United States. Anyway, the fortress was once again in Spanish hands until July 10th, 1821, when the United States took formal occupation of Florida following the Florida Purchase Treaty with Spain that took place in 1819. The fortress was renamed again, but this time by the Americans, and it was named Fort Marion in honor of the Revolutionary War hero, General Marion. And they raised the American flag, which, interestingly enough, only had 23 stars on it. Then there were the Seminole Indian Wars. And yes, that's plural, because there were at least three of them. And they began uh, in 1816 and raged raged on, I guess, in one form or another until about 1856. However, the newly christened Fort Marion was in the center of the war effort as it was used primarily as a prison, especially for the captured Seminoles. In fact, uh, in one of the saddest and frankly dishonorable episodes in American history, this is where the famous Seminole leader, uh, war leader at really, um, by the name of Osceola, was imprisoned following his capture after being lured into peace talks under an American flag of truce by the orders of General Thomas Jessup. Uh, So, yeah, um, that's just cold. Interestingly, though, the fort did not see much action during the American Civil War. Uh, I guess at one point there was a small dispatch of Confederate soldiers based from the fort. Um, They were given the assignment of running up and down the coast to extinguish lighthouses, from what I understand. Um, but this all became to a this all came to a you know an abrupt end when the Union boat showed up and demanded the full surrender of the fort and the town, which they did without firing a single shot. Now, if we fast forward to uh, 1942, um, that's when the fortress was handed over to the National Park Service uh, to maintain, um, and it was renamed. Uh, once again, but back to its original name this time, the Castillo de San Marcos. So it's safe to say at this point that the fort has seen its share of historical events. But I want to take you back to the year 1784. It's July 12th of that year, and if you recall, Spain and the United States have palms that are still stinging from the high five they've given each other after the Second Treaty of Paris. And it was on this date that a new commander a guy by the name of Colonel Garcia Marti, assumed his post at the Castillo de San Marcos for the Spanish, and he brought along his famously beautiful wife, Dolores. Now, sources say that the colonel was considerably older than his bride, that he was not one to show affection, humor, or pleasantries of any kind. In other words, This guy was a notorious hard-ass to the men under his command and to the folks that he governed within the town of St. Augustine. So that said, it's not surprising that rumors began flying around about the lonely Dolores and her budding romance with a certain Captain Manuela Bella that she was seen around town with. And as I mentioned in the last episode, one story says that they were ratted out by a fellow soldier or soldiers and 
ended up being caught red-handed in the throes of passion. Another story suggests the colonel was listening to the captain give his daily report and could smell the orange blossom perfume that he gave to his wife as a gift on the uniform of the captain. Regardless of which story you prefer, one thing everyone agrees on is that one day Dolores and the captain were there going about their business at the fort, and the next day they weren't. Now, as you might imagine, there were some questions about the disappearance of Dolores and and the captain. So the colonel threw a dinner party for the upper echelon of St. Augustine and his officers. And in that party, he explained that the captain had been reassigned on a special mission. And, coincidentally, his beloved Dolores had grown ill, so she was sent to live with her aunt in a different settlement that was in Mexico. And that once she felt well enough to take a longer voyage, then she would return to Spain where the weather was more agreeable to her fragile disposition. And because of the colonel's famously hair-trigger temper, no one questioned his story. Well, time passed, as it often does, and the true cause of their disappearance remained a mystery. That is until July of 1833. Now, as you recall, Spain had recently ceded Florida to the United States. And while investigating the newly acquired fort, an American engineer named Lieutenant Steve Tuttle is leading the repairs. And that's when he discovers a hollow wall. So he gets a bunch of his soldiers together. And after removing a block of the coquina stone to see what is behind, he and his men are immediately hit with a strong smell of orange blossoms. Just as their eyes start to adjust to the dark, and they see a pair of skeletons still chained to the wall. And yes, to this day, visitors still claim they get strong whiffs of orange blossom perfume when visiting the old hidden room in the Castillo de San Marcos. And that, my friends, concludes this Dark History episode of Bring Out Your Dead, the eulogy of St. Augustine. Now, if you're a fan of dark history like Tiana and I, by all means, share some stories. We'd love to hear from you. Or if you've got some pictures or uh, anything interesting that may have happened on a ghost walk, uh, we'd love to hear about that too. Um, You can certainly find us on Instagram at Bring Out Your Dead Podcast. We're on Twitter at Bring the Dead Out. Uh, You can email us at PlagueDoctors at BringOutYourDeadPodcast.com. Obviously, we have a website, which is also BringOutYourDeadPodcast.com. Thank you.